This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, selamat pagi. It is Monday, the 22nd of August and is the start of another week. And in the studio with me is, of course, Philip C. and I'm Wong Shaoning. And we are part of the morning run. Very good morning. Happy Monday. Is there anything to be happy about Monday? Of course, there's so much to look forward to, isn't it? Tell me what are you looking so forward many to? Things. Oh. I think this week is going to be a watershed week for Malaysia. We could see our first Prime Minister head into jail. Yes, convicted I already, by the way. Convicted, but I think it's really watershed. I think it speaks volumes of what's going to happen. Mm. So really important. And whether it triggers a lot of other things that fall through after that is also something I'm looking forward to look for to see what happens there. Yeah, and um, that conversation uh, is something we're going to have at six at 7.45, excuse me. We're going to be discussing exactly that because the appeal at the federal court uh, by convicted Prime Minister Datu Sri Najib Razak is wraps up actually this On Tuesday. week. Yeah, supposed to. Uh, we don't really know whether the, the, the judges will come out with their final verdict. Uh, but we are going to speak to Go Chia Yi. He's a criminal lawyer on the many, and I repeat, the many twists and turns that we have observed so far. I know it's going to be very. It's like it's been a roller coaster. It's been a drama, a telenovela, in my view, with the lawyers involved. Of course, I didn't understand any of the jargon. Although uh, not to worry. say that I understand any of the telenovela as well in the first place. <laughs> Chai is going to help us make sense of all this, right? I mean, he resigned. He can't resign. Can he resign? Is he supposed to leave? Then what happens? Who's taking over? All these questions, you'll find out later. I mean, you'll find out answers for later. Then at 7.15, what do we have for it? Well, Malaysia was again given the lowest rank, tier 3 in the new US trafficking's in-persons report in 2022 for a second consecutive year. Mina Patel-Davis, Director of Houston Mayor's Office of Human Trafficking and Domestic Violence, helps us understand what needs to change for us to improve our rankings. Interesting stuff. Maybe we can get back and ask her, uh, what is US doing about this as well? That's true. It takes two both hands to clap. Yeah, and they have a history of human trafficking too. Uh, and then at 7.30, we're going to look at Southeast Asia's biggest economy, which is Indonesia. Now, they have 300 million people. That's a lot of people, which also means that they have a very, very likely to have a very exciting economy coming up in the next one or two years. Crystal Tan, economist at ANZ Bank, tells us how this country will do next year and their plans for fiscal consolidation. Maybe they have plans, unlike us. Oh, oh. no, we do, we do, we do. It's just a bit difficult. Well, uh, so cynical today. We do, we on do. a Monday morning. Wow, Charlie. Why not? Let's, get, let's start with the roll. <laughs> All this and more on the morning run. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 6.09, Monday, the 22nd of August. And of course, you're listening to the morning run together with Philip C. And I'm Wong Shaoning. And I, I think that song was what Jackie Williams said by Van Morrison. Who is she? Who is she in the Ob- first place? Obviously someone that scarred him tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an upbeat tune. So I thought maybe it's the reverse, actually. Maybe Who he knows? did pleasure. She did pleasure. Him, I don't know. I, we have no, no clue. But uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you a very, like, duh question. For right. Like, duh. How duh. often do you wash your car? Hardly. Do you, I, I presume you never do it yourself? I do, actually. You do? You get your hands wet with a sponge and soap? Well, yes. Sponge and soap, yes. But then, of course, for me, the big one is interiors. Ah, The cleaning of the interiors is very... The vacuuming, I hate because of the the little corners and all that stuff. I hate that. So I actually go to uh, a car wash slash interior and do all at one shot. And I do that only once a quarter. A quarter? Yeah. 
Be warned, do not get into Philip C's car. <laughs> You're not really sure what is going to touch you on the All floor. All the bacteria and germs everywhere. Is that why your car colour is also the colour that you I, it, that it is? Because it is a colour that you can't tell any dirt? Exactly. That was the intention of the car colour. Okay, so, so that it's easy to remove any misconceptions that I'm a dirty boy. Okay, so you're Mr. Practical. I am. All right. Totally. And I think that's why it's very interesting, right? If you talk about this article, we're going to talk about Yes, in yes, because I, I chose you this. You picked this article. And I love this article because it really talks about why the private equity industry is so enamored with the car wash industry okay. in the United States, so right? It, as you're listening to this now, you're wondering, what are these people talking about? <laughs> One minute she's asking him about how often does he wash his car? Does he do it regularly? What colored car does he have? And then suddenly there's this magic no word. No relevance whatsoever. Private equity. <laughs> Huh? How come money is involved in this? Well, as usual, everything that I pick usually has involved some form of money. But this is actually a podcast from The Journal and it's entitled Why Private Equity is Buying Up Car Washes. And to me, this is fascinating because, yeah, it's a story based in America. But if you ask me, it's a story based everywhere and anywhere and even here in Malaysia. So what made, I think, this industry become so lucrative for the for, for private equity mm. and also I think for many investors was that they managed to fix their revenue model yeah. with, with the car wash industry especially in you know in climatic countries with four seasons right it's very hard when they shifted to a subscription model which was fully automated which was fully automated I think then that's where people kind of moved and saw the value yes. so you got this stable revenue coming through yeah and you on, got cash up front because people have paid in advance for absolutely. subscriptions right and it's it's a kind of industry I wouldn't mind paying subscription for a car wash yeah so what they do, what these car washes that are picked by private equity are essentially almost completely automated. Maybe one or two people manage it, right? Yeah. And then at the same time, they sell these subscriptions. So it can range from like something like 44 US dollars a month all the way to some cheaper subscriptions. And what happens is that you can then go into the car wash and have your car cleaned as, reg- as many times as you like. So people get attracted to that. They sign up. So for any business, right, where there's positive cash flow, cash upfront, it becomes something wow. And hence, and it's scalable because you can operate one uh, car wash here in, in location yep. A and then you can also have another one in location B. And, and you, need, you need that scale essentially to make the subscription work. And that's why private equity loves this because check, right? The revenue mm. business model is quite clear cut. And then the big opportunity for very much for private equity is the investment in technology because, you know, if you compare car washes, perhaps Malaysia and US, everything there is highly automated. You yep. only need one person really to man the car wash, perhaps a second person to sell the sub- subscription packages and that's about it, Bob's your uncle. Yeah, but if we look at the Malaysian model in terms of what has been rolled out by the private equities, I think a lot of it has been in the F&B and uh, I would say retail space. Mm. Partially because you could you could create almost, maybe franchise is not the right word, but like a franchisable almost scale, right? So you have one outlet in this mall and then before you know it, you have like seven outlets in seven malls and you have a centralized kitchen. You have a formula in terms yep. of how the restaurant looks. You have a formula in terms of the menu and you you save money in terms of logistics. You save money in terms of Absolutely. inventory costs. scale. Yeah, and I've, I've seen that many, many times. So PE funds do look for these kind of businesses. So the question in my mind is, I think PE funds 
you know, I think Malaysian businesses here are ripe for the picking, especially all these mom and pop businesses where they have really built success, but they really don't know whether the next generation can take over. I think private equity is the right platform for, for them to come in to professionalize the business, take it to the next level. Cash so, out. Cash out, essentially, cash out. right? And it's really interesting, especially with equity markets so challenging in these times. I do think actually, really, there are many, many Malaysian SME businesses that are ripe for the picking for private equity. It's just that we only think of private equity as all these large deals, multi-billion dollar deals, but that's not the case, no, right? No, no, and there are many types of private equity funds out there. Absolutely. Now, the art- in one thing I'd like to end on is the journal says that this is a new way of recirculating capital. Ah, hmm. because you are basically re-looking at the financial model and in terms of how investments are made. And I thought, yeah, okay, quite interesting. Uh, I think maybe, like you say, this is a nascent stage in Malaysia. I look forward to many, many other private equity deals out there. And of course, we always like to talk to all the private equity boys, be it Navis, Credor, you're always welcome on our show. Uh, but up next uh, is some messages. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 6.20, Monday, the 22nd of August. And that was One You Back by Haim. Of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Wong Shaoning together with Philip C. Are you dedicating this song to anybody? No. Nobody, only myself. <laughs> I have to love myself back every day. Exactly. That's the first thing we must remind ourselves. We must love ourselves first before we can love others. And why? Because we've got this really interesting article which Philip C. also chose. <laughs> it's all about love this morning. Can I contrast? Well, can, can I contrast yeah. the article selection? <laughs> you picked private equity in the car wash industry. My selection was Tinder struggles to attract younger <laughs> users as Gen Z singles look to new apps, according to the financial. Oh, so I'm the hard edge <laughs> money toot and you're the romantic, is I'm it? I'm the romantic trying to look for love through new apps and <laughs> solutions. What makes you so so sure that I'm not a romantic too? Oh, uh, I'm sure you have many sides. Everyone has many sides to exactly. it. It's just that at six in the morning, the natural side appears. Yours tends to be a bit more about money, financial markets. Mine tends to be more about the softy, feely things about swiping left and swiping right. That's all. <laughs> okay, so since you chose this story... Uh, swipe right. Tell her what. Tell us what it's all about. Okay, so I come to the conclusion that if I'm using a certain app, that means it's really out of date because I'm always <laughs> generally two, three steps behind the general population. So I'm a relatively active Tinder user. I, I do like Tinder because I find it interesting to just meet and up are, with new by people. By the way, there are so many out there, right? So, so let's be fair to all of them, right? There is yes. Bumble, there is Coffee and Bagel. Uh, I think there are others which have a very, very specific... Match. Match. Grinder, Well, ma- match, is the, match is, by the way, a listed company. Yes. Did you know that? Uh, I think uh, which actually has a market cap of only 17 billion US dollars. Only, yeah. Uh, only, 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 billion. yes. But the, the app that everyone's talking about is Bumbled. You know, not only because of the female CEO, I think, who has been pushing for all these very groundbreaking work activities, but it's also the basis in which how I think the evolution of dating has been, right? Because there's been so much concerns about safety and security. And as we know, Bumble is this uh, that, uh, kind of dating app dedicated for women. Oh, there's um, a new, new startup called Thursday. Thursday as well. Ah. Yes, I've heard of that. And I think this is a big challenge. You know, 
these apps are very faddy and you can even tra- extrapolate that and apply that to something like Facebook, Instagram, right? They all become very faddy. They try and move around. And I think every generation wants to try something new. Whether or not you are relevant or pervasive, it's just that there's a whole need about moving and trying a different piece. So now Tinder is seeing its subscriptions drop a bit. Its demand number of downloads also dropping. It used to peak in the 2020s. But I think there was COVID, right? Yeah. So have people gone dating back the old-fashioned way where they meet they meet up friends of friends and have a drink and catch a movie rather than spend all their time online? Maybe that's why. Perhaps that's why. But I see if you look on the contrast, Bumble is seeing highest subscriptions and downloads. So mm. I think there is a trend of going back. It's just that people are shifting away from Tinder to other alternative apps like Bumble. But you have a very interesting point. I wonder whether apps are still relevant to look for love. Uh, I think they will always have a place, right? Mm. Uh, why not? I, I don't think we should kind of like dis- dismiss mm. any platform, any outlet. You know, in the old days, people used to honestly be matchmake. I mean, especially if you come yes. from certain cultural backgrounds, your parents would actually do the matchmaking. Then you would probably, you know, later on in life, maybe hook up in church, in school, for example, at work. But uh, the way we live, the way we work, the way we socialize has changed so much. So, I mean, we spend so much time online. Why can't we meet somebody online too? We can, but I wonder if the frenzy is dying down, in which in the past we would be like infatuated and using using it quite a lot. But as we as we are getting used to the app, we realize, okay, it's minimal kind of return on investment in my view. So then you kind of use it more utility-based. I don't know. I think there's always going to be different strokes for different folks, literally, right? So, you know, if the app... Figuratively as well, I Yeah, if the, if the app is what you like and so far you've succeeded, you met your true love, uh, let us know what you think. You can tweet in at BFM Radio, WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Or are you the kind that was like, I'll never, ever go on an app. But swipe up ne- left. <laughs> swipe left. No, sometimes you want to swipe right. Give love a chance. Up mm. next is the 6.30am News Bulletin. And to take us out is Shiver by Coldplay. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned. That was The Lost Art of Keeping a Secret by Queens of the Stone Age. You really have lost that art of keeping a secret. Everyone's a really chatterbox now, isn't it? Just uh, are you talking about yourself? Are you talking about yourself? I'm talking about everybody. Huh? Everyone's not very good at keeping secrets. No. Like, oh, by the way, do you hear this last night? I just want to know one secret. Do you know what that one secret is? When is G15? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret on my mind. Clearly. Clearly that is something, the but date I want to know. La. You know why? Because I can get on with my life and then plan my holiday. Honestly, I was looking at the calendar and thinking, oh, if it's October, then I can't go here. Okay, if it's here, then I can't go there. When can I go? Well, so Because we're l- journalists, right? We have to be around during there G15. There is the talk that he's off for some, our Prime Minister, for some big event in October. So they're dispelling that October is not likely that to That is, take place. I think he's off to New York for the UN convention, right? That's it right. takes place every year then. So perhaps you can join him in New York for a holiday I then. wish I, I, unfortunately. For the Rockefeller. Yeah, don't think he'll invite me on his little um, private jet. Uh, but anyway, 6.40, Monday the 22nd of August. And of course, we are looking through all the international stories that caught, catch our eye on the portal's websites. Uh, what is on the docket this morning, Philip? I think just looking at BBC, Daria Dugina, doctor of Putin's ally, was killed in a Moscow blast, seems to be dominating most headlines uh, here across international news portals. The daughter of a close ally of Russia's President Vladimir Putin has been killed in a suspected car bombing. Which many say was actually probably for her father, right? Who is a Putin... Uh, 
loyalist. Yes. Uh, the Russian philosopher Alexander Dugin was actually quite known as Putin's brain, you know, and that was perhaps the intended target of the attack. I don't know. He comes across as a bit of a Rasputin character. Look, I mean, the picture is a bit odd. But I think this is the worrying part because as we head into this Wednesday celebrations to mark 30 years... Well, let's 30, not call it celebrations. Though. Well, they are celebrating. Ukraine is celebrating 31 years of independence from Soviet rule. Mm. President Vladimir Zelensky has basically urged Ukrainians to be vigilant as they expect fresh blasts hitting Crimea and a missile wounding 12 civilians near a nuclear power plant recently, I think causing a lot of concerns. Yeah, and guess what? We are going to feature the Ukrainian ambassador to Malaysia on Wednesday on our show, likely to happen between 7.30 or 8.30. We can't confirm yet because it's all about live radio. To give us an update in terms of how the war is progressing because it's six months already and I hope, I, w- I get the sense that there's a bit of fatigue. People are just tired of the news. Yet, you know, people are losing their lives and yes. the war doesn't seem to be any closer to being uh, resolved. Yeah, so I think this is the question, right? When will this war end? You see these counterattacks by Ukraine into Crimea. Crimea. Many are saying that actually Russian uh, um, level, also, Russian hopes also have kind of faded as Ukraine tries to take for, make forays into Russian territory as well. But it's also a tit for tat happening on both sides, right? Russia also advancing in certain parts of Ukraine. Ukraine taking back some parts, and also heavy fighting taking place in Kharkiv and Kherson. So the question really is, you know, when will this war end? Six months, as you say, it's pretty long, although mm. remind ourselves World War II was like three years. Yeah, and then turning our attention to our neighbour down south, shall we talk about them? So yeah. first off is the fact that they will be scrapping rules for wearing masks in most indoor settings uh, as the country moves further towards casting off its pandemic era curbs. This is according to Bloomberg. So masks will only be required on public transport and healthcare facilities like hospitals and nursing homes after the easing. Uh, so masking is actually one of the last few virus curbs in this Southeast Asian city-state. Well, one law also that they have repealed overnight uh, was 377A. Singapore now basically has repealed a law that bans gay sex, effectively making it legal to be homosexual in the city-state, following the likes of India, Taiwan and Thailand. Yeah, okay. So some big developments uh, there in Singapore. Now, turning our attention to Jackson Hole. Do you know that it's happening this Friday? It is. I think that's a very much anticipated date where all the central bankers from all around the world converge in Wyoming and basically get one-on-one with the bison there, don't they? The bison as in the... Yeah, those animals, isn't it? Those, oh, those big kind of bulls. I thought that was like a reference to one of the central bankers. No! It's like, it's like, whose nickname is it, the bison? Okay, anyway... <laughs> I was like, is it Jerome Powell's? No, not at all. Now, why is it so important? Um, does it really matter, these meetings? I think it's more what happens behind the scenes rather yeah. than actually the official statements, right? That might give us a clue in terms of whether central bankers are you know, going to continue with their hawkish tone or are they willing to take, more, take on a more dovish tone because global growth is really indeed slowing down. I mean, think about it, right? Europe is heading into you know winter where I think gas supplies are going to put a lot of pressure on demand. China still hasn't gone out of lockdown. We had conversations last week that that 5%, 5.5% GDP growth Forget is going it. to be bye re- bye. revised down to 37 3.8%. So really, I think you're you're talking about quarter four. The question really is for the US, is recession a base case scenario or is it just one scenario? I think there's more than one scenario to any. For sure, any, but is it anything? the base case? That's a big question, right, for the US, whether it is inevitable that it will hit into a recession. From the 
from the tone of I'm guessing here, right? Because yeah. I'm not the best economist and I think people gleam over the FOMC minutes uh, and really study word by word what the Fed is thinking. But if I'm them already and I'm starting to hint that there are going to be rate cuts next year, not rate hikes, huh? yeah. rate cuts next year, it does show that in their mind, they, they know the economy is slowing mm. down. How bad it is slowing down, whether it is a recession, I don't know, but for sure, a technical recession, yep, it's pretty much there. It's just the weirdest recession anyone has ever had, has had seen because banks are well capitalized. Full unemployment, full employment model. 500,000 jobs yeah. available. So what Crazy. kind of recession is this? Yeah. Please explain this to me. This is probably when you just pump the, the economy with so much money, you create anomalies to what is normal economic theory. Mm. Uh, but up next, of course... Uh, more local news, but keep it here. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 6.50, Monday the 22nd of August. And that was Two Steps Behind by Def Leppard. I'm Wong Shaoning together with Philip C. And of course, we are The Morning Run. I hope this is not about economic policy, <laughs> Two Steps Behind, in terms of what we that's need to my, do. That's my use of my Tinder app. Okay. I'm Two Steps Behind Social Norms. All right. By the way, um, somebody wrote in and kind of like probably was gently concerned about you, Phil, because she said, good morning, inventor Anna comes to mind when someone mentions Tinder. And that's how costly relationship and love can be. So, ooh, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. And we watched that Netflix show, right? It it's was a great show. It was a great show and it was a painful lesson. <laughs> so even if you're out there, you're you're trying your best, just, just be mindful. No be harm mindful. in taking advice. I think so. Yeah. Well, you know, one advice I think that the minister, one Junaidi, Dato Sri Dato one Junaidi Tunku Jafar is saying is that they may review caning as a punishment. Caning as a punishment in Malaysia should be reviewed as it is inhumane and outdated. That is a reminder to my mother who used to cane me quite a lot when I was very young. <laughs> This is all your, your, it's your pent up. This is all your um, frustrations you, from you, from you, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's very interesting, you know, because Mr. We, C was Philip very naughty, and he truly deserved it. But never mind, he's traumatized by it. So, but on a serious note, yes, I agree. We should just do away with all these Although, dark age, dark age punishments. punishments. It serves no purpose. Although, ironically, I was looking at the age Najib's SRC trial, and of course, the total number of charges. Now, what is the penalty? Penalty for the three counts of criminal bre- breach of trust. Mm. The penalty is maximum twenty years of jail plus whipping. I think and he's a got fine. twelve de- twelve years of jail already and a fine. Yes, and plus whipping. Plus whipping. Plus whipping. whipping I don't think he got included. the whipping too, but he got the twelve years, right? Already. Yes, he does. So I guess, I mean, I wonder how time. And I'm just trying to connect the dots here. Although I perhaps there's no dot to connect there's in the no first place. There's no dot to connect. <laughs> now I'm looking at the Malaysia Kini, and this is in reference to something that the past president, uh, Tan Sri Abdul Hadi Awang, um, comments over the weekend, where he made this claim that non-Muslims and non-Bumi Putra make up the bulk of the roots of corruption in the country. So a few MPs have called it, you know, like wild allegations. That's what Fami Fazil called it, uh, that the past leader did not substanti- sub- substantiate because uh, he asked, Fami asked, where did he get these figures from? These we- sweeping statements are really wild allegations and unjustifiable. MACC does not release a breakdown in ethnicity of those it has arrested in relation to corrupt pre- practices. And even if we were to take the biggest and most scandalous cases, 1NDB, the principal decision maker was Najib Abdul Raza. Look, we have seen corruption cases all around the world. And I'm pretty clear, corruption is colorblind. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Just 
hopefully it doesn't happen. It's your integrity, uh, it's yeah. your values, it really shapes how you were as a child, yes. as, a, as you upbring to decide and not whether you're corrupt or not. And it really, we've seen it everywhere. Malaysia is not a unique no, case. No, it's not. You see it in UK, you see it in the US, you yep. see it in Sri Lanka. I think we need to be colorblind. You see it in China, yeah. you see it in India, right? Yes. Why did President Xi went on this whole anti-corruption drive? Yes, and the reason why it happens is because the country has a lack of check and balances, right? I think that's really the key point here. Procurement process po- policies are not clear. There's too much nepotism, too much cronyism. I mean, those are the reasons why things like this happen. And I think check and balance will be tested this week, isn't it? Because we're all waiting for the federal court's decision on Najib's case. Yes. And that will be, be a very landmark decision this Tuesday. For sure. If and a decision is made. Now, the other thing that I'm looking at is on the frankly speaking column uh, at the edge. And it's something we should have brought up over the week, but somehow we didn't. And I, I would like to do it now, really. And I agree with the edge. And it's that a punishment does not befit the crime. Because last Wednesday, it was reported that DBKL had cancelled the business license of Crack House Comedy Club in Tamantun and blacklisted its owners for life for violating the terms of its license. And to be fair, the comedy club had been operating with an incorrect license. It only had a restaurant license and no entertainment one. So, incorrect license, perhaps, right? But then, does it even have the jurisdiction to issue a lifetime ban? Is it overkill? Is it overkill? I think, by also, so, although people are even contesting whether they even have the right to issue a ban in the first place, but I think we are asking a lifetime ban. Is that overstretching yourself? Yeah. And, I mean, people are just trying to make a living, right? Hmm. And, yes, mistakes have been made. But aren't we a society which also encourages people to to reform, to let's say, you know, I've made a mistake, I want to do what's right and give them a chance to do so? Yeah, that's true. Right. Well, yeah, I think that this, I think, I hope uh, will come to a timely resolution. As you say, right, just building on, frankly speaking, many columns actually they came out from today. One that struck my mind actually was Bowsted's uh, divestment of its stake in University Nottingham, Malaysia. Mm. I, I kind of was, I also was blindsided and didn't see this uh, developing story, right? Where I think what you're seeing here is that many of the private universities here require Bumiputra majority controls or stakes actually to run. And I think Think as people try and show up their public finances, perhaps the divestment of stakes is what's inevitable. Yeah, but then uh, not that many takers, by the way. Yes. Because uh, believe it or not, not all private universities are doing equally well because the cost is extremely high. Uh, and, you know, fighting for students is real. Well, fees, you can't really raise it because of the current economic climate. Uh, but let us know what you think. Up next, of course, is the 7 a.m. news. And to take us out is 10th Avenue Freeze Out by Bruce Springsteen. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.